It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to At The Hive Live, part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts. I'm Chase. I'm here with James, as always, and we are joined by former At The Hive contributor Nick Denning for today's episode. We're going to touch on All-Star Weekend for a little bit, and Lamello's featuring in his first ever and first of many All-Star Weekends for delving into uh, a bit of a Charlotte Hornets state of the union here as we've kind of come tumbling into the All-Star break. We've got quite a few topics on the slate for this one. But first, Nick, James, how are you guys? Doing good. Yeah. Happy to be here. I'm doing good. I'm, I felt it was really important that we had Nick on this week because I think Nick is someone who the Hornets fan base and myself looks to in times of despair. You know, Nick's, Nick's been there at the dark times and it's been, it's been a pretty bleak place recently. So I'm glad we've got Nick on for this episode. I think it's going to be very therapeutic for all of us. Let's all strap in it's gonna you know we're gonna i want to feel better about this whole situation out the other side of this um but before we get too much into kind of the the state of the union like you said with the hornets it is all-star weekend uh we are recording this on sunday so the all-star game is tonight the dunk contest the three-point contest the skills challenge yesterday the apparently celebrity all-star game which i didn't think i had any celebrities in but everyone told me it did after i tweeted about it um was the other night (laughs) Um, has anyone, how much All-Star Weekend have we watched so far? Did anyone see LaMelo and Rising Stars? Like anyone got any kind of hot All-Star Weekend takes that they've seen yet? I mean, I, I, I missed Rising Stars. Um, I watched a bit of the activities last night. Um, I watched way too much of the dunk contest. I should have turned it off sooner. Um, but I I was the only one that feels that way. (laughs) I, I feel like... I was waiting for, I was like, okay, surely it's going to get better. Right. And then, you know, but I should have turned it off after like Jalen Green's nine attempts at like that one dunk. And, um, and then he ended up doing a dunk that I thought was better than the one he was trying to do. Yeah. It's, I mean, the three point contest was fun. It was cool to see cat um, just absolutely, you know, just like kill it. Um, it. It started an interesting debate about like him being like the best big man, you know, outside shooter. Right. And a lot of old heads kind of came in with the Dirk Nowitzki and everything. Obviously that's a debate that isn't really related to the Hornets, but 
Um, I always like, I, I'm always hopeful that there's at least a couple things to enjoy from all-star weekend. And hopefully we get something with the, uh, with the all-star game tonight with Lamelo. Yeah. I think I saw that the Hornets are the only organization never to have a player win the three point contest, the dunk contest or the skills challenge. I think I saw that, which I think there's like three teams in the whole NBA that have never had that. And the Hornets are now one, which which sucks, but um, but they've they've had their attempt over the years. What they had Gerald Wallace in the dunk contest. Um, they had Miles Bridges did a dunk contest, didn't they? Um, I'm trying to think if there was any like random Hornet, like a Derek Brown. I don't think he did it. Um, Someone like Larry Johnson contest? or Alonzo Mourning had to have done it, right? Yes, I'm sure they will have done. Yeah. To James, to your question, Kemba did the skills challenge one year. I do remember he that. Did. Was that the year he was in Charlotte? Because he was an all-star when it was in Charlotte, which is why yeah. like, I think that's the year he did the skills challenge. But I think he could have been a good shout-out to the three-point contest at some point. Um, I think Terry Rosier would be good at three-point contest. I think it would be an interesting one. Um, but yeah, it, all-star weekend, I'm like I'm not his biggest fan. I'd be interested to see Lamelo tonight. I did watch the Lamelo game because they obviously got knocked out in the first game of the Rising Stars. Um, Lamelo Ball was playing quite a lot of defense in the Rising Stars game, which I like, think he, he had was playing four fouls in like <laughs> not a lot of minutes. <laughs> that exactly what I was going to say. Like he literally got into foul trouble in the like Rising Stars game. But it's a, you watch Lamelo play. It's a, he plays exactly the same as he plays the Hornets. Like. And that's where you just it just shows that Lamelo plays on so much natural flow and gift that like it, you could put him like playing in the Lithuanian league now. I think he would play the same way. He just plays how Lamelo plays, and he's not going to dial it back. He's always going to be aggressive with his like reach-ins and his off-ball uh, defensive kind of menacing tears where he goes off chasing someone to try to get the ball. But um, I thought it was yeah, I thought that was hilarious. They got in foul trouble in the Rising Stars game. It's, it's good to like kind of recognize that because as he gets older and as we get more like, you know, as the years kind of go on, we just kind of have to recognize like, okay, these are the things we take with him, right? Like we take all the, the amazing things he does with some of these things that maybe cause us to scratch our heads a bit. Like, you know, we'd obviously love that for him to cut down the fouls, but obviously if he's getting foul trouble in a, in a rising stars game, it just kind of shows, like you said, it's, this is how he plays. I thought um, I saw Eric Spolstra had some really good quotes. Who's obviously coaching him in the All Star game, talking about how um, like like no coach is going to come out of the All Star weekend and be like, "Yeah, I really don't like this guy." But <laughs> nevertheless, like he had some quotes about how Lamelo just had like a great energy. He was a joy to be around, which is the same thing we hear about Borrego. Like people love being around Lamelo, just like lights up the room kind of guy. He talks about he's got a winning attitude as well. Um, and he's, you know, he plays with a lot of joy and plays with a lot of like natural flair. You know, Lamelo Ball was built for the All-Star Games, but like what are the some of the things that you kind of look, let's look back in five years. And what do you think? Yeah, that that all-star weekend, what are some of the things that you're you're hoping Lamelo might kind of take? I know Borrego spoke on this before, before the kind of the all-star break, but was there anything that you're hoping Lamelo kind of takes away from this experience at all? I just think it'll be cool for him to be surrounded by like veteran NBA superstars. Cause with how you, with how unique his path was to the league, I, he, I feel like he hasn't been around those types of like older veterans as often as some other guys may have like coming yeah. up playing in America or for a college team that 
has guys in the NBA that like still pay attention. Like Miles Bridges, like always follow, like follows younger Michigan state players and stuff like that. Like Lamelo didn't, uh, didn't really have that coming playing in Lithuania and the JBL and the NBL. So I think it's cool for him to get to like, get that experience, like being around players like LeBron and yeah, you know, I mean, Kevin Durant's not going to be there, but like he's still an all-star and then Giannis and Embiid and all these guys. So it's just, it's just cool experience. I think I'm, he seems to be, enjoying it quite a bit um, in all of the uh like media appearances and social media posts that he's had so seems cool i, I love the new rising stars format by the way i thought that was really fun I, I i'm interested to what you guys thought but it was cool that the ignite players were there i liked the uh like tournament style of it and kind of just like mixing up the teams not like rookies versus sophomores or world versus usa or whatever the old format was so i thought yeah. i thought that was cool yeah bringing in the ignite players is like that's interesting because you think about the whole like pathways to NBA these days and, and, you know, college is always in the de facto because that's where you can get the most exposure. But like, if you, if you feel like, Hey, I could, you know, go to the ignite and then be part of all-star weekend before I'm even an NBA player, like that in terms of exposure adds a lot there. So yeah, I, I, I thought that was interesting as well. And I'm curious how, if there, if there's any plans to expand that, you know, beyond the ignite or I don't know. It just, that's, I thought that was an interesting um, change that I thought was good. Um, yeah. To echo your point with Lamelo, I think just having him around some of the best, right. Getting to just talk with them. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm sure he's, it's not going to be a, a super serious weekend. It's just really a chance to enjoy themselves, live in the moment type of thing. But, you know, you, we have to remember that he started his, NBA career in a lot in not in a lockout, but in a, in sort of a, in not a bubble, but that, that, you know, without fans, very, a lot of restrictions and, you know, things are more normal than they were when he first started here. So he's getting, you know, just getting more opportunities to interact with other players. You know, I think it's, it should only be a positive form and, and, and just to get more spotlight on him, that obviously gives more spotlight to the Hornets. That's, I'm all for that as well, because, you know, as we both, as you all both know, it's always been a struggle to get the Hornets to get any sort of like national recognition over the years. Yeah, I, I think just to agree on both your points, putting the Ignite players in the All-Star Weekend is a freaking genius move by the NBA. Like whoever, whoever thought of that idea in like the board meeting was like, wait, we could just add the Ignite players. Like that is such a recruiting tool that they can use down the line. So I completely agree. Um, yeah, I, like you say, with Lamelo, I, I, what I really want to see is, firstly, I think people see how fun he's to play with. Like, you, you hear all the time that players thought, like, he had this kind of, like, with LeVar Ball, all the players will see and heard about LeVar Ball. And when they meet Lamelo, he's completely different. I think being just being able to be around him and then playing with him on the court, they'll realize, like, how, how fun would it be to play, like, have Lamelo dishing you up every night? Like, especially if you're a big on a team where you like struggle to get the ball in good places and stuff like that. You play with someone like the mellow and he, like he wants to pass the ball. He wants to give it to you. Like he's not a guy who's hunting for his own shot. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And then also just like learning those habits that some of those other all-star players are making the links, making the friendships in summer. You know, you might have someone, Oh, come work out with us. Like here, I, you know, I know from all-star. How many times do you find out that when player goes to play all-star goes to demand a trade to somewhere or goes away on free agency there's always a link there with the other star who's already there a friendship or something like that so just starting that now while he's what 19 in his second year while he's 20 years old 
that I just think is super exciting. So, so well-deserved. Um, let, let's move on from our All-Star Weekend chat. Best of luck to Lamelo in the All-Star game tonight. I'm looking forward to watching it. I think, as you put it at the start of the episode, Chase, state of the union for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, the Hornets have won just three of their last 14 games. They've had sickening losses to both the Cavs and also now, most recently, to the Heat. They also missed a go-ahead free throw against the Timberwolves. I think I tweeted out the other day, like, if those calls had just gone the way or they'd hit their free throws, there would have been, like, six and eight in the last 14 games. There isn't a real disaster there. It's just, oh, a bit of a bad patch. But now, like, it feels like we're going off a cliff here. Um, in times like this, Nick, as I said this episode, we look to you. What are your thoughts right now? Like, there is some serious deja vu going on from last season to now. Similar time of the year, you know, similar injuries to similar players, Cody Martin, uh, Gordon Hayward being out. The Mellow's not hurt his wrist yet, despite him still flexing it and rubbing it every chance he gets, which still freaks me out. He does but, it with both hands too now, which I think is I also funny. I think it's maybe so, it's just like a, like something that he does now, like, like, like yeah. unconsciously or something. Um, Nick, where, where are you at with things? On, on your panic meter of one to 10, where are you and why? <sighs> Man, panic meter. I'm like, I'm not uh, maybe a five like i'm like but but maybe etching towards a six i i think like i'm i guess my expectations right and maybe why i'm gonna i know you said like try to inject some maybe not positivity but i don't know i am i am okay if this team doesn't like if, if they're a play-in team like that's i think that's a very obtainable goal and i think that's something that probably you know should have been the expectation for a lot of us from the start of the season I think that, you know, I think our feelings and the way we feel right now is just how we were before, right? Where we were, I think, what, six games over 500, right? Earlier this year. And now we're under 500. We've lost a lot of games. It's not looking good. Um, I think getting healthy is a big part of this because, you know, deja vu is, I think, definitely playing in with the loss of Gordon Hayward. Um, but losing McDaniels, losing Cody Martin, Although role players, those are, they, they kind of made things work, you know, in subtle ways. And so without them, we're kind of going to other players who haven't played as much, who have had some moments, but also had some issues as well. Um, I think getting healthy and hopefully getting these guys, at least one of these guys back after the all-star break would be, would, would help a lot with just seeing, okay, like, let's get things back on track and let's make a push for this to end the season. Chase, panic meter. Nick's a five. Where are you at? See, I, I might be a little lower. I, I would probably say I'm at like a like a four. I mean, I mean, losing like eleven out of fourteen, or and nine out of the last ten to make it like a one and nine stretch, and then three three and eleven is not ideal. So I, you can't say you're like not worried about anything at all. But I mean, like Nick said, health is a <laughs> I think is just a massive part of this. Like we've seen. Last year that this team is just wasn't quite as good without Gordon Hayward. And that seems to be the case this year. I mean, he, uh, especially offensively, like in the last, they have tumbled down the offensive rating standings. They're 13th right now. We spent a good portion of the league as like the number one, two, or, or good portion of the year as the number one, two or three offense in the NBA. Like they, they've 
gotten a little bit better at defense. They're up to like the low twenties now, but I mean, clearly with how things have gone, like that trade-off has not worked out very, very well for the Hornets. And I, I, I mean, the, to think of the three players they lost, especially Hayward and McDaniels, like those are both pretty important offensive weapons. Hayward is basically the only isolation shot creator like on the team. I, if you want to count Montrez Harrell now that they have him, that's different, but he's just, he's a center. Like he's not doing it as a, as a wing from the perimeter. Gordon, uh, Terry, Terry's a good scorer, but he's not really like an individual shot creator because he's six foot one. And it's hard for him to do that when teams can just put bigger defenders on him. Lamelo's 20. So he, he can't really be counted on to carry an offense as the initiator and like the play finisher for long stretches of time. And Miles just hasn't shot efficiently this year for whatever reason. I, I think he'll eventually get back to it because he has done a very good job, like getting himself to his spots and he has improved quite a bit and pretty much every other level. So I think the shot will revert, but right now, like for, for most of the season, Gordon's been the only reliable option when you need like a bucket after a long stretch and they, they haven't had him. And something I saw on Twitter today, which uh, was tweeted by Richie Randall, who former guest on the podcast, host of Buzzbeat, the only two players on the Hornets roster that are shooting 60% at the rim, 40% in the mid range and 35% from three are Gordon Hayward and Jalen McDaniels. Like that, that's a lot of efficient production out of your rotation for a long time. Like I like, Oh, like about a month probably by now. And, you know, Chase, to your point, like you mentioned miles and his inefficiency, you know, shooting, especially of late, like when you lose an efficient scorer, like Hayward, who obviously, you know, he's not only efficient, but of, you know, you could call him a volume scorer as well to a degree and McDaniels, who's, you know, doesn't shoot as much, but is efficient for what he does do that presses other players to try to make up for what they're losing there. And so like, I think a lot of like mile struggles and maybe some of these other guys like Ubre, right. Who, you know, that's, that's a, he, yeah, he might've fallen off of a cliff harder than any current like player that's still on the floor with yeah production lately. So like the, you see those two guys, especially they're trying to make up for what they've lost and they're not those players, right? At least not, you know, I mean, miles could be maybe one day at least, but Ubre, we, Ubre is who he is. And so it's not, a, I don't think it's a, not, it's, it's definitely not a coincidence that with Hayward's absence, you're seeing Ubre kind of revert to this player that is not helping at least offensively the way we need him to. Yeah, Ubre Ubre's stretch has been rough. Um, Miles Bridges shooting's been rough. Cody Martin has just lost all confidence in his shot before the injury. I think I I put out a, a graph a graph like a little while ago about the Hornets shooting drop off, and they're essentially getting the same uh, criteria of shot in terms of like op- wide open threes, open threes, contested threes are all the same. Because kind of going in, I thought that like I heard Borrego talking about that other teams are have scouted them really well now. They like know that they're driving to pass. They're not driving to score. So people aren't helping off the shooters as much. So when I started looking at the research, I was like, well, I'm expecting to see like more contested threes or like a downturn in total threes taken. What I found is they're actually getting the same quality of shot. They are just shooting the ball way worse. And it's been pretty apparent in this run. I don't know if something to do with this is like the heavy minutes. Cause I know like Hayward, Miles Bridges, Terry Zay, like were pretty heavy with the minutes played in the league. Um, I think that's probably got something to do with it. Like they've not, I can't tell you how many times they've rested a player just for like a night off this year. It 
I just don't remember that like ever happening. The only player that's gotten that is Hayward. Like I think one or two times. I think it's like yeah, it was what one, one yeah once or twice. Uh, very very rare. And it was like, but, and then he got hurt in that freak injury, like the game after he game or two after he came back. So it was like the rest was like I got I understood the rest, but then it like unfortunately he went down even despite it. Yeah. So I think it's a huge combination of things. And I'd say overall, I'm probably like a, I'd say I'm probably a six. So probably a little bit higher than both of you, because I think with, like the injuries are always going to happen. Like you look at all these teams, Boston, uh, Cleveland, Toronto, they've all had injuries. Like we played Toronto without Fred Van Vliet. We played Cleveland without Darius Garland. Um, we played Miami without Tyler Hero and like another, and Dwayne Dedman and someone else like, Everyone's missing players. It's the middle of the NBA season. But the Hornets, this team really seemed to lack a little bit of, I don't want to say resilience, but when it gets tough, like you think about the Indiana playing game, you think about the Wizards game at the end of last year, which I think they needed to win to finish like in a higher spot for the playing. Um, you think about all the overtime losses this year. I think we're at zero and five now. When we've got late into games, this or when we've got into like big moments, like okay, now we need to bring it. This team has let itself down more often than it's kind of come out the other side. And I think what that watching that Miami game last one before the break, that double overtime loss, which I mean, we could have done a whole podcast just about everything that happened in that game, it was ridiculous. But if you look at that, like you've got Kyle Lowry drawing these crappy little fouls, you've got all these guys drawing charges. And you're looking at the Hornets and going, God, you're so young and inexperienced. Like, you're just getting, like, the, the Miami Heat are having a terrible shooting night, but they are just using every ounce and sweat of vet savvy just to take advantage of you. And I feel like that happens a lot in, in these clutch situations. And I don't think this Hornets team respond to adversity in, in close games and in big games, national TV games, you know, it was a long for a long time. National TV, the Hornets were laying eggs. I think they had a, you know, I think they had a good one maybe against Boston, but just time and time again, this team seems to let itself down when the, when it gets tough. And that to me is worrying because if a team doesn't have, if it can't perform under pressure, if it can't show that resilience to perform at its best when it's needed. Like, that's when fingers start getting pointed. What's wrong here? Because, like, everyone knows they should be winning some of these games and fingers might get pointed at players. Fingers are beginning to get pointed at the coach, which we're going to come on to. Um, so I think I'm a little bit more concerned. The, the, like, the point about – I think it's just, like, how they manage games late. I think – you mentioned Miami. Miami is just – I think Spolstra coaches them on how to win – how to play in these late game situations. They also have a lot of veterans who have known how to, how to like make the most of any situation. Um, but Charlotte, I noticed in some of these close losses recently have really just made some st- stupid decisions like that kind of ended up hurting them a lot more than maybe they initially felt. I mean, one that comes to mind, and I can't remember which game it was. It might've been Minnesota or Cleveland, but like um, player was fouled on the other team and then um, PJ Washington like slaps the ball and it ends up being like an and one because he went up for it. Right. And yeah. normally you think, okay, whatever guys do that all the time, but there has to be a little bit of awareness there to say, okay, just, he got fouled. Don't jump for it. Right. Um, and I just feel like you see a lot of micro, you know, decisions that, that 
seems small at the time, but you can look back and say, yeah, this is not a good game management. And so, like you said, we're, we'll talk about coaching here later, but I think this is a product of youth. And I think, and just understanding what it takes. I mean, you know, PJ has been in the league three years now, so he should know a little bit better, but he's still relatively young and a lot of, and this is the fourth youngest roster in the league. So there's going to be these mistakes happening more often than not. Um, I, you know, but if this, I just think if this team was older, you wouldn't see these kind of mistakes and they, they're, they just be able to better to sort of game the, the system in terms of, you know, these, the, you know, these end of game situations. Um, and we probably get away with some of these that we, that we ended up losing. So with that in mind, do, do we think this might, the stretch that we've been on, like and when we're, we're bringing the young players in, it's book night store, they're rookies. Do we think this could signal a shift going into future seasons that this team might look to try and get older? Do you think this is going to be a wake-up call for Borrego, Kupchak to come together and say, you know what? Like we, we had the fourth, we got the fourth youngest team in the NBA this season. We were one of the youngest in the NBA last season. I think maybe second youngest. Um, I know they have talked about the draft being the, the the bloodline for this program for development, and they've just traded. You know, they've, ju- they've just got like what three, four rookies on the roster right now uh, from this past draft. What what do we think? Do we think that's going to change? Because like we say, if we keep, we, we might have two first round picks this year. We've got second round picks. Like if we keep adding these guys to the to the roster, this seems always going to be young, and we're going to be running into these. Same mistakes, you know, you always hear about young players hitting like the rookie wall. Well, it also happens in the sophomore slump and you can call it whatever you want in the third year. Like, and most of this roster are in that. Like they've not conditioned their body to an NBA season successfully yet. And that's going to come. But yeah, do we think there's going to be a shift here? Do you anticipate that? I I mentioned it on our last podcast. I I, like that. I think in the off season, like, there might be a big move coming and I feel like that's, it might not be like a shift towards being older, but like you said, they just have a lot of young guys and not that I think they will end up with two draft picks or that it's likely, but they could certainly end up with at least one. Uh, and then that would just be adding another rookie to the fold. So uh, on a, like a four year guaranteed contract, a second, a second round pick is a little different because that's much easier to like cut ties with and move on from. But if you're drafting another player in the first round, that's like, that's five basically that you would need to give minutes to that are still on the rookie contract next season. And that's just not, it's how often do teams in the NBA win when like most of their rotation is players that are in their first three seasons. Like it's, it just doesn't happen. So I don't know if they'll get like older, like trade for someone that's like a seasoned veteran, like, you know, like Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier age or something, but definitely making the amount of young players that they have, like maybe trading three of them for one of the, for one other one or something like that, just consolidating the amount of young talent that they have because they have a good amount of it and it's spread like pretty evenly throughout the roster. Yeah. I guess you have a lot of like bigs and forwards, but I mean, there there's, they still have a lot of it and not, and none of these players have really lost like a ton of value. So that there's, there's definitely room for the Hornets to make that kind of decision if they want to. And I know yeah. Kupchak said after the deadline that there was, I can't remember Ooh. the exact quote word he used. He said he the, like, the interest in their young players was eye popping, was the eye phrase that he, yeah. that he used, Abs- which is such a, Mitch, which, such a Mitch phrase. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, I it's think such that a was... Mitch thing to be surprised about how much people like his players. Cause he did the same thing at the draft when he was like, <laughs> yes. yeah, we, our phones were ringing off the hook for this James <laughs> Booknight guy. I guess we're, I guess we're doing all right. Like, I, I feel like that's a good thing, you know, like, <laughs> 
That's it's so funny. I love him. Yeah. Any. I'll listen to a Mitch Kupchak presser like any day. It's just, he, I don't know. That's a whole other thing. But yeah, you made a good point of consolidation. Um, I would be shocked if PJ Washington is on this team next year. And I not, and it's nothing to do with what that I think he's a bad player. I think he's a good player. But I think they're going to, I think there has to be a recognition that they have to start really making a legitimate push to winning. I'll, I'll save this point about where I think Borrego's, how we should evaluate Borrego um, as a coach for when we talk about him. But I think this has to be really the last year where, we, where we're looking at our roster and be like, oh yeah, we're young. I mean, they, they should be still young next year, but I think they start, I think they need to start really considering cashing in on some of their young assets here. Because if, if they're getting eye-popping calls about, you know, some of their guys, that's only going to last a certain amount of time. And so I'm assuming PJ, I I would just, I would have to assume PJ Washington was people called about him. Um, So I I think that's a guy that you can move along with maybe some other, uh, some of your other young guys and, and try to get better sooner, you know, whether that's getting a, you know, a more legitimate ready-made starter big or whatever, whatever, you know, direction you want to take. But um, I think we're going to see fewer of these young pieces on the team next year. Um, even if they end up keep, and even if they end up having some draft picks, you know, depending on how the lottery balls, you know, and the records end up and so forth. So big picture here. So we like the Hornets, I've got a chance to finish the play in. I think their over under for the season was 38.5 games. What, 38, 38 like or 39, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 38, 39. I, I think the other thing, and I know Lee, um, Lee's been big on this from the Buzzbeat pod, uh, Lee Branscombe, like the volatility the Hornets have had this season has just made this feel so much worse. Like they've had these great winning streaks and then they've had these barren losing streaks and they've had games where they've been incredible and set. NBA and Hornets records of points and a half and points in a game. And then they've had games where they've like lost by 30 or 40. And the, the inconsistency is just, is just maddening. And I think that's made this feel worse. Um, but I agree. Yeah. I, I think. Something big picture. Else. We, we always came into the season thinking like playing would probably be, if they were to play and that'd be good. Cause a lot of teams got better in the East and we didn't even think the Cavs had got, as much better as they have. Like we knew the Bulls were going to be better. Um, we knew a bunch of the other teams had improved around the margins and there weren't many tanking teams anymore. So it was always going to be more difficult. And I think at, at times, like if you actually zoomed out and you hadn't, let's, let's say we hadn't watched any of the games, right? Hadn't watched any of them. And we just looked at the record. If you told us like back in September time, this would be the record at the All-Star break. You'd be like, yeah, like in the playing spot around 500, that's probably about right. But the, like, the experience of that has just been so much more painful than I think what everyone thought it was going to be at the start of the year. Something that has, and we've talked about this before, I felt like a while ago, I think, James, is they, the clutch play that the, that the Hornets have kind of been known for within their fan base the last two seasons is just entirely non-existent. Terry Rozier was at the top of the league in a clutch field goal percentage for both of his first two seasons here. No longer. Uh, Devontae Graham was up there. Obviously, he plays for the Pelicans. 
Gordon Hayward has been hurt. He's basically the only other player that has somewhat consistently had a high field goal percentage in late game situations. And I mean, that that's just not there anymore. So, and that we, we also, I remember last year when they were in the midst of like winning all of these insane, like overtime or close games, we're like, yeah, I mean, this is like really good, but I feel like we're afraid that like, this is going to balance out and it's going to be very terrible in the way that it balances out because it's going to be a lot of like a flurry of close, frustrating losses. And it kind of seems to have come to a head right now, which I, which I think is like, it's weird because it's weird to die like diagnose what it is i mean other than like players just being injured because most of the people are like are the same players like pj miles Lamelo, terry like they're they're all still there borrego's still the coach like they still run the same type of offense and defense like so it's not not much has changed other than like hayward getting hurt it, it's just yeah it's just like the luck of the draw almost i feel like like they were so good like playing above their heads for a while and now they're playing way below in late game situations now and maybe that means they even out by the playoffs like this is their learning experience you definitely want that to come in february rather than like early april when you're like last year like they they didn't have any point to play an important game until the play-in last year at what point do we do oh like oh this is good experience you know this is the learning experience at what point does that stop I'm not saying it's now, but like, yeah. I, like that's yeah, the question. Yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, I think for di- I think for some fans that should have stopped when the, the team were whatever it was, six games over 500, fifth in the East, like had a real look, like had a real shot to avoid the playing. Yeah. That was, that was less than a month ago too. Isn't that funny? They were 26 and 20 on January 21st. We're recording this on February 20th. Like that, that seems like it was a year ago. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's just been such a quick dramatic fall and it's not like they've even fallen that far down the standings either i think they only got to like sixth at at the highest and now they're 10th but it's just like because the east is so bottlenecked and everybody's so good which is all which is something i think we knew going into the year too like i think people knew that the east was going to be better than it had been the last couple years that you weren't you weren't going to be able to skate by like the hornets had last year like being pretty consistently like at or under 500 rather than being like above 500 and taking like the worst skid ever to like have to fall under 500 on the season for pretty much the first time since early in the year. But yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a whirlwind of a month. I think, I, I think it'll turn around after the all-star break just cause it's gotta be nice for everyone, like the players, coaches, whoever to get like a nice vacation in or something and think about something other than basketball. But you know, we'll see. I, I think we'll also- go ahead, Nick. Well, I was going to say the, the big picture side of things is like, I think there's part of us that wants to feel like, who feel like, okay, when we got, we were six games above 500, like we're moving, we're, like we're just gradually getting better. Right. And that was just going to continue without any hiccups, but that's not realistic, not just for us, but just for like a lot of teams in the league. I mean, look at how Boston were at the start of the season. Mm. There were a lot of question marks there. Look how Atlanta are. I mean, they're still figuring things out and they're coming off an Eastern conference finals appearance last year. So I think in ter- if we're thinking big picture and trying to understand like where our expectations should be like none of, none of this like sustained success is guaranteed for the Hornets or for anybody, because like, there's so much that has to go right for you to end up being a team that is always at the top. Um, and, and just because you have your star player, which the Hornets do, doesn't mean that you're going to continue to get the success. So it's like, 
there's going to be bumps in the road. And we're, unfortunately, like we've been saying, there's just a lot of volatility here where it's just like, it's either really good or it's really bad right now. And I, you know, I think we'd all prefer it to be somewhere kind of more even keeled in, in the middle there where it's like, we have some good nights, we have some bad nights, but overall we're doing better. Yeah. All right. Do we want to take a quick break and come back uh, on the other side and finish out our state of the union here? Let's do it. All right. Sounds good. See you guys in a minute. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. We're going to round out the show with some thoughts on James Borrego and his, uh, the, we're going to evaluate uh, what we think James Borrego's job security would be. Not that I, any of us, you know, not that we've heard anything or there's been any report that he isn't uh, secure as the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets right now, but we're all going to offer our thoughts. We'll give some Montrez Harrell thoughts as well after his first four games with the Hornets. And then we'll close on our young lottery pick, uh, getting himself into a bit of a, Sticky situation at his alma mater at a basketball game this past weekend. But we'll get into that in a little bit. All right. So who wants to go first on the James Borrego discussion? James, was that, a point to, was that, was that you? You want to go? Yeah, okay. I wasn't sure yeah. if you were pointing to me or not. Okay, go for it. No, I'm, I'm keen to go on this. So <laughs> I think Borrego, where are we at with James Borrego? Um, there are a lot of loud people on social media who have become, well, they've voiced it a pleasure all year. But now there is more losses, more close losses, more overtime losses. Those voices are becoming amplified. Um, I've, I've not seen too many people kind of change from being pro-Borrego at the start of the season to now being anti-Borrego. Like, I just think some of those people of voices essentially got louder. But I want to have a, you know, a, an intellectual conversation here about where do we think things are? Um, the Hornets, you know, let's say they finish 10th, 9th, just below 500, something like that, which is probably the best guess as of right now. You could argue the Hornets are beginning to plateau. And the argument I put forward to you both is, is Borrego in danger of the Brett Brown treatment or the Lloyd Pierce treatment or the Luke Walton treatment, the Ryan Saunders treatment, he's got, he's the Jim Beheim treatment, <laughs> the treatment of where... You get your young coach who hasn't really been a head coach before to coach your young team as you're developing. You then reach a certain level where actually this coach is not driving enough winning. You know, like we talked about the mistakes, the poor defense, like, you know, there are certain things you need in this league to win. And 
you can make the argument that Borrego is, is not achieving that. And actually, he's done a great job with the development of all these players. And people will probably say, oh, he'd be a really good assistant, you know. Like, but we need someone to come in and play like a winning coach, an experienced guy who's been to the playoffs before and knows what it takes to win. That's that's the conversation that will, I feel, is going to emerge. Um, I guess, how, how likely... Well, what are your thoughts on that, essentially? Like, do you think Borrego is in risk of, of that happening? So... I'm glad you brought up Brett Brown because um, I brought, mentioned this to remember Aaron Fishman uh, briefly wrote. Yeah. Wrote, he, so he still runs this podcast with his brother and friend. And I was on that earlier this towards the early of the season. And I made this comparison because Brett Brown was given the, the time to develop the Sixers, but he was also given the opportunity to win with them in the playoffs. And they did reach the playoffs with him. And I feel that Borrego has done enough and had enough success with the player development side of things to allow him a chance to get this team into the playoffs and coach this team in the playoffs. Now, obviously they have to make the playoffs for that, you know, for that scenario to happen, but I don't think it's unfair necessarily for him to get that kind of treatment because after season one, right. When he, when he was first hired and they, they did kind of make that push, it clearly became player development. That was the primary reason he was there to coach. He was not being measured on his wins. Um, I think this is the last season where player development is the primary, like, um, evaluator, right. Or valuation. Right. And I I think next year, yeah, next year is where we really start evaluating him on whether he can get this team to the playoffs, not especially if they make those moves that we kind of talked about earlier, where they consolidate assets, they bring in some more, some veterans, some more ready-made players. Um, so yeah, and, and if he turns out to be able to coach them to playoff success, then he can keep and he can continue to be the coach. But if not, we may have to just say, yeah, this is a guy who was a was great in turning this thing around and building and building this team up, but we gotta go for somebody who's a little bit more ready made. I had I didn't realize that, that that list of coaches that you has was was gonna be so extensive. Like of, of guys that kind of <laughs> like got the chance like the the brett brown t- type of treatment did, uh, and those they're all pretty recent too I, did I, I, Bayheim really get that treatment oh, you, oh john, uh, <laughs> yeah, do you mean john bayline uh for the line sorry B- sorry yeah Beeline, yeah yeah I was, I was, I was, but even so like point still stands like he got like one year and then like they were like nah this guy isn't we don't want this <laughs> yeah, guy they, he's like they, he's like they're made he's like they're running a lot in practice this is weird <laughs> yeah. like we got we got to get him out yeah that 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 was that that was a unique situation probably but the rest of them i like absolutely applies and it, it happens way more often than i clearly had thought that it that it had happened in recent years but I mean, I kind of, I, yeah, I agree with everything you guys said, especially Nick's point. Like this is probably the last year that, that he's not going to be measured off of like, you need to make the playoffs. But I also think it's fair. Like J- James is definitely right. That people on Twitter, Twitter, Hornets, Twitter in general, like I'm not trying to be like talking down to anybody or whatever, but it is a mess after losses. Like we, nobody needs to be mean to each other over basketball they're throwing a piece of leather in a hoop. Like you don't, nobody needs to get like personally angry at each other online about the results of said ball going in hoop. Like it's, it's been insane. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the Hornets, like actually being good and having like something to hope for and having a player that's in the all-star game in his second season 
uh, and like the kind of like popularity that that, that comes along with that. But, I mean, but still it, it's just been like a wasteland after games at some point. And like, it, it, it it's just gotten to the, like the point where there's so many extreme takes, like the Borrego, the you're, you're definitely right. I don't think anybody has fallen from like pro Borrego to anti Borrego or anti to, to pro because of how firmly entrenched a lot of most people are in both of those um, opinions. But like, he definitely isn't going to get the same type of slack with this. Like if they have a losing streak like this next year, it's it, it might be like a mid season firing type of thing, promoting a coach that you like on the staff to interim or something like that. But he does get this whole season to, to develop still. They started off really, really well. That doesn't mean that you change your expectations mid season. Like that's the one thing that NBA teams like, successful NBA teams cannot do like you don't go like you don't it's never as good as it seems when you're playing well and it's never as bad as it seems when you're playing terribly and the Hornets have done a pretty good job at like maintaining that kind of focus and being like we're playing the long game here you know we're not going to make any sort of rash decisions like with the Montrezl Hale trade we talked about that it was the perfect balance of like not giving up any real future asset while also improving your team right now in the offseason you can't really make trades that like are just kind of like, Oh, this is a good deal. That doesn't hurt you too much, but it helps you a little bit right now. Like it will be time to make moves that put you in a position to win. And if they do that, then it's time for Brego to win games with that roster. So, I mean, I think it's going to, it's going to come into fruition like pretty quickly over the next, like probably like calendar year until like after the next trade deadline and like the future of the Hornets will be like pretty firmly, like entrenched and we'll know like what kind of path they're on. But like r- right now, I think it's still player development section layer, the player development stage. And even though they're way better than we probably thought they, or they had played way better than we thought they would up to a point, like he still, they all still need a little bit of time, I think. So I'm glad you brought up about Hornets Twitter because <laughs> this is something that I want to say. People are um, so mean, man. It's crazy. It's so, crazy. Uh, I, it, I've never like I've always engaged. I've been engaging with people on social media, and I, I I'm one of those people. People, people tweet whatever, disagree with me. Like I'm, I'm always up for like having a conversation. Which I realize that like, if you want to actually have a nuanced conversation, probably social media isn't the best place to do it. <laughs> but I try anyway. Um, after I did the video where I, I think I called Buck Knight. You know, I said if if Buck Knight was wanting to start on like Borrego and had to be held back, like and then left the bench. I said that was unprofessional. That obviously got shared to a subsection of Hornets Twitter, which all the accounts don't seem to like even follow the Hornets account, but they almost follow each other. It must be like a DM group chat or something. I don't know what happened. I had about five or six people come out and call me racist online. Um, which genuinely for me was actually really upsetting. And actually during the game, like I, like for a couple, like a couple of half days, I even spoke to my girlfriend about it. I said, like, I've never been called a racist before in my life. And being called that, even though it's by like, you know, an egg on Twitter, <laughs> like, and I, I just know it's completely untrue. And I didn't say anything other racist at all other than calling an NBA player who appeared to start on his coach and then leave the bench unprofessional which like that's my opinion you can disagree with it if you disagree with it that's fine but like just having people do that and the sole goal of that to kind of I think try and hurt me that was upsetting and I just want to like it has not been an enjoyable place and maybe that's I think 
I've noticed since I've got a blue tick next to my Twitter name, people seem to feel like they can go after me more or, or they enjoy going after me more, I think is, is probably what it is because they sense that I've got some sort of authority, although I have none whatsoever. Um, so I wanted to address that first, that like it has been a, a brutal place. It's been a place where I've thought about like not tweet like the other day when this Yukon thing happened, which we're going to talk about, I did not comment on that on purpose because I, I do not want people, you know, if I say what I think here, like I'm going to get people coming after me and I, like that shouldn't be the way it is. We shouldn't be having to like self-censor ourselves because we're worried about the negative reactions of people. Like we, like I just tweet, I said to someone else, like as soon as I stop tweeting the analysis because I'm scared of like people disagreeing with me, then there's no point. Like that's, that's what people who follow me, they want to see what I think. And they also want me to then report other things and, and people, what other people are saying so that they can see and get a feeling for it. Like Hornet Twitter used to be a place of like, you know, almost like group therapy, but like, it was like, it was a Absolutely. safe space where we yes. could like, just, we could just joke about the team and we could throw off our takes if we wanted, but yeah, no one like got upset at you or called you racist or anything like that. And yeah, nowadays it's just like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've moved over to other channels at times just to like find others who were, you know, or I'll just text friends who I know are watching as well, because otherwise, yeah, you just, it just stinks to like, just have to like, not even like, you don't even know if they're going to respond, but just the feeling that they might. And it's just like, yeah. So let, moving on from that, I think it's important that we, we, uh, Brego got a three-year contract extension this at the start of this season. So the team were loving the job that he was doing. Um, I don't think this is ever going to be a team where they're going to like trade all their first round picks away for players. Like, I, I understand there's difference from going like developmental to competing, but look for them to do kind of what the Spurs did, where the Spurs drafted late in the first round and were getting hits like DeJounte Murray and Derek White and, and other guys like that at the end of the first round because it was the ecosystem they had which made their draft picks great. It wasn't that they just picked great players all the time. It was that they developed them correctly. So, like, yes, I could see them trading a first-round pick. They already have the Kai Jones, but it was for essentially a future first round pick to get that in the system now. Like they're happy with the job he's doing. I don't think Charlotte is a media market like New York and LA where the organization will ever feel media pressure to move on from a coach. Like it's just, you're not going to have the Charlotte observer writing the, you know, the New York times piece about Borrego. You know, they just had Tibbs earlier, didn't they? But Tibbs is now being like, they think he's the problem. Leon Rose doesn't get along with him. Like you can feel that pressure building that's just not going to happen in Charlotte. And I agree with what both you said. This is still a bridge year. It is a, what have we got? Let's evaluate who we've got. Borrego is still playing to win. Don't get me wrong. He is not just gifting the young guys minutes. He is playing his vets. He is trying to win every game. He's playing guys heavy minutes. But I think from a front office point of view that, you know, the cards aren't in the table yet. And it's, it's not the best time to like, you've got so many, you can look at it like there's so many teams in contention at the minute, but you've got the Bulls, the Heat, the Sixers, the Bucks, like the Celtics, all trading first round picks, everything for right now. We must win right now because it's open. Like, I think the Hornets are best to try and aim for that peak in two, three, four years from now, not to try and rush that. But I do wonder, and here's the question I want to pose to both of you. At what point would you, what would need to happen for the rest of the season for you to think that Borrego might lose his job? From now until the end of this regular season, what what would you like? What would the record have to be? Where would they have to finish? Where you think actually 
it goes from being it's still a development year to actually like he's completely you know the team is just playing at such a low level you can't possibly bring this guy back next year what would need to happen it would it would have to be i mean one first would be have to fall outside of the play in right they're definitely yep. good enough to do that and the teams that are from 11 to 15 are bad and they're not trying to make it so i mean yeah i don't I mean, so that would that's that's part one but I think a more significant thing is just reading the players and what they say and their body language, right? Because I think despite the the losses, you can see that they still care and they still believe in the thing, in the, in the process of what they're doing. As soon as that starts to shift a little and maybe like there's some doubt that creeps in or some comments made put players suggest that things aren't all well, that's where you can start to reevaluate things. But I, I'm not seeing that at this point. I mean, you've got even Miles Bridges, for example, out there basically defending the guys. I think he tweeted something recently after the Miami game saying, like, I hope you all are there when we turn things around, right? So, no, there's. I think there's still trust in the process, to use the Sixers terminology loosely, right? And I, so unless that changes, I'm, I think he's, he's very safe heading to next season. Yeah, that's, that's what I think, too. If, if they don't make the play-in, then that and the players, you know, don't seem fully on board, then that I mean, then I could probably see that being like probably over 50% chance that he might end up not being the coach next year. But the, I feel like that's a pretty dramatic scenario. Like, like Nick said, those teams 11 through 15 stink. Like the Wizards are bad. The Knicks are bad. Like if they fall below either one of those teams, the Pacers traded their best player, like all of these teams, if they fall below those teams, then the Hornets have had so much more than what has already gone wrong go wrong and then at that point it, it you, it's just that's kind of just the first domino to fall like the hornet they're not going to trade lamello and miles bridges because they, they <laughs> played poorly down the stretch like they would fire the coach that's the unfortunate yeah. reality of being a coach in professional sports really but i'm i'm glad that you brought up that miles tweet too cuz i was going to say that and like he he said that he said, this is where we don't see who really rocking with us. All that fake love can stay right where it is when we hit our stride. And someone responded being like, oh, is fake love being pissed off about how bad you all have been for a month? And he's like, I, he res- literally responded, I understand the frustration because I'm frustrated, too. And it's like that. I feel like that shows that they have a good attitude about it, because uh, for one, he could have just been like, shut up, idiot. Like, <laughs> you don't know anything. <laughs> Or he could have not responded, but like he want, like he's putting it out there that like we are all like nobody's having fun right now. Like we all want to fix this from top to bottom. We're gonna do our best to do so. Like I don't think anybody's like down and out right now, which is the very important. They all seem pretty engaged. Like PJ did something like replying to that tweet and being like, yeah, you know, I agree, blah blah blah, like that type of thing. So I think that the the locker room portion of that is in yeah. is intact so as long I, as they end up in the play-in i think they'll be fine or borrego will be fine i should say I, I honestly i think you've you hit the nail on the head nick in terms of it depends on the locker room i think they could miss the play-in yeah. i think they could finish 12 13 they could have a shocking end of the year right if the players in that locker room are still in their exit interviews with mitch Kupchak saying no like he's the guy like we we got, we were hurt or, you know, we didn't play well. We didn't execute. We made too many mistakes. Like, and this is where you see how strong is the foundation of the relationship that James Brago has built with these players. Because when teams are winning, 
players will get along with coaches. Like you, 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 you paper over the cracks and everything's fine. And it's when you start to lose that you start to see things fracture. And if like, if the players, if, if he's got the relationship so strong that they're still backing him to management, even if they miss the playing, I think he could survive. Like, I, I don't think the team, I don't think the team would fire him unless they absolutely had to. They've just given him a contract extension. Like, mm-hmm. They, they've been on the same page. They were really happy with how everything was going. They didn't have to give them that extension. So I, I think it's 100% down. I don't even think it's to do the record. I think it will 100% down come down to what are the players saying and what are their thoughts. Mm-hmm. All right. You guys got any um, Montrose Harrell thoughts that you want to share after his four games and 128 minutes that he's played with the Hornets so far? Any, any quick Really hit? the... I was going to say that really the only thing I'll say is I, I think, I mean, I like the move. I would, this is a very early take, but I would just say he would be great to bring Brack if he were, you know, in this role that he has coming off the bench, but they have to get better as with the starting center. No disrespect to Mason Plumley, who's been fine and actually playing fairly well lately. Um, but he can't be the starter. If you're going to, if, if, if Montrez is going to be your backup, right? You need a much better starter than Plumlee. Um, so that would be my thoughts. If, cause he seems, Harold seems to jive with the group. He seems to fit well offensively. Um, but I would not bring him back unless you're planning to get better and find a better replacement for Plumlee. I'm amazed how reliant they've become on Montrose Harrell so quickly. It's so quick. He's had two like, 20 point games already, right? Yeah. And they went to an ISO with him at the end of the Miami <laughs> yeah. game, I think, but like for like to, to win the game. They went for an, like a Montrez Harrell ISO. I, I mean, who else has ever been traded for on an expiring contract on the trade deadline? And then literally half a week later is the go-to guy on their team. Like that's that's my and that shows you, by the way, the struggle that this team has late in games. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, Terry Rosier is small, he needs to play off advantage. Miles Bridges, just like in the clutch situations, just hasn't quite quite dynamic enough yet. Hasn't got the shot falling. Teams can play him for the drive. Lamelo Ball, he has done it in flashes, but you can tell he doesn't always want to be the guy at the end of the games. Gordon Hayward's out. They're going to Montrez Harold. Like, <laughs> I, I, I was. Know. I just want to say, I was so caught off guard when they gave him the ball and he turned to ISO and like faced <laughs> yeah, me too. And I'm like, what? What what are we doing? What what's the play? And then like, you know, it, so yeah. But that just shows the state of things. Yeah. Yeah, but overall, I, I think he's been fantastic. Like, I don't think he's even been bad defensively. I think he's competing. He plays like a certain passion and energy and toughness that a lot of like the Hornets, I think, struggle to play with. He's loud on defense. Like, I've heard him on the broadcast. I've heard people reporting who've gone to games saying that he is talking from minute one. And I think Mason Plumley is pretty quiet out there. And you get that, like, he's quite reserved personality. And you need that backline defender. One of the big reasons Vernon Carey got traded, he just didn't communicate defensively, effectively at all. Um, so I think he's been fantastic. Look, I would be happy to try and see him start, like, later on this season, just to see what it looks like. Because then... You go into the offseason, I'd like to have a sample of 10 games to see what he looked like with the starting group to then know if actually we bring Harold is the best option we can bring in as, as a starter. I mean, he's he's better than like probably 10, five to 10 starting centers in the league right now, easily. Um, 
I'd say he's a more valuable player than Mason Plumlee. If, if they were both free agents this offseason, I think Harrell would probably get more money. I think, yeah, that's definitely safe. I think Harrell would probably, I don't think, I think this might be the biggest contract, the one he's on now that Plumlee gets for the rest of his yeah. career, like the two year, 16 million. Yeah, James, I'll ask you this. Could, could Harrell be the best, like, deadline deal, like, for like for nothing in terms of, like, hor- like right, what I mean is, like, is, is he higher than, um, oh, God, I'm already blanking out his name, like, Hakeem Warwick for Josh McRoberts, which, like, basically two just, like, like we gave up nothing for Montrezl Harrell. Yeah. The Bobcats gave up nothing for, for Josh McRoberts, and it ended up being this – he this crucial piece right and at least in a short term so is harold could he vault josh mcroberts because i don't think there's been a better mid-season trade than josh mcroberts but i don't know mcroberts was definitely one number two was gary neal that mm-hmm. was a that was a great he had a really good regular season and sung the playoffs number three um i'm trying to think it was courtney lee a trade deadline move yeah remember. Yeah. yeah that was something like courtney lee was he had moments in the playoffs in that playoff yep. when he started but I think I think that Josh McRoberts one, I'd find it was hard. Like he was so good that half season and into the playoffs. Like I'd say if, if he eclipsed McRoberts, that'd be great. Because I think that was the team that ended up finishing like tied sixth in the East, um, which I think this team will struggle to do. And McRoberts was a starter on that team. So if you can reach that level, but yeah, for, for what they gave up, I, I've, I think it's been a home run so far. Um I'd like to see him. I think they're going to keep him off the bench for a little bit, but honestly, I'd like to see him start, especially if the team comes back after the all-star break, the energy is still down. Like I I just, to mix things up, let's throw Harrell in with the starters and let's see how it plays. Yeah. I mean, I I kind of agree. I think he definitely is going to be the the closing lineup center, I think. Uh, And also, what do you guys think about the Harrell Plumlee duo in the front court surprisingly the the cleaning the glass like on off rating for it was insanely high like they were (laughs) so good on both ends of the floor like uh in on off rating together it was a very small sample size but do you guys think that'll like keep happening i certainly hope not because i don't i don't know (laughs) if those numbers are going to stay high if it you know continues to happen but it it wasn't bad it was it was fine it did pass my eye test, but if the stats support it, then keep right. doing it. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, but it's it just kind of like, I just, I don't know. For me, I was just kind of like, oh, two, two big men who don't shoot from the outside. Just like, I don't know. But again, whatever works, keep doing it. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I was laughing at the Cavs for coming into the season with Jarrett Ellen and Evan Mobley, like, and then Larry Markinen. And I was That's like, what three. are they doing? <laughs> and, and then they've been incredible. <laughs> so, but I, I think Plumlee and Harrell are much less dynamic players than those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't foresee that being something. I mean, look, if PJ Washington can't improve some of his power forward play, which has, you know, been another subline here for the second half of this regular season so far, PJ Washington has just been mostly missing. I, I actually liked what I saw in the Miami game. I thought there was flashes of uh, a more aggressive PJ that wasn't just waiting for above the break threes all the time. Um, even though he wasn't efficient, I just, I liked his shot selection more and how he's mixing up his game. 
But um, I, I don't think it'll be a, a long-term thing, no. But um, I, I'm surprised Harold was playing power forward, though. I, I think Steve Reed asked Mitch Kupchak about him playing, like, what position will he play in Charlotte? And I was like, Steve, that's such a stupid question. He's obviously <laughs> only going to play center. And then literally that night, he went in at power forward. I was like, damn it, what the heck's <laughs> happening here? Like, it's the first time he's played power forward in, like, five years. Yeah. All right. We've been going for a little bit, but we got one more. Uh, we, we alluded to it earlier, but for any of our listeners that don't know, over the, this past weekend, uh, James Booknight, in his, in his all-star break, he took a visit to Stores, Connecticut, the University of Connecticut, his, his alma mater. He watched his UConn Huskies, who uh, actually won this game and are a ranked team. They're pretty good this year. They beat uh, Xavier, but in the beginning of the game, James Booknight, I see the thing is, is it, there's no video of what he was doing to, to prompt this. The video is only of uh, the referee walking up to him and kicking him out of his courtside seat, uh, along with like a friend or something that or somebody that he was sitting with. Uh, and the two of them, I mean, at first he just seems kind of confused, but then he, he just gets up and walks away. Uh, but instead of leaving <laughs> the arena, he walks up the uh, stairs into the student section and just relocates to like the basically dead in the middle of the Yukon student section. Uh, I mean, I'll go first. I, I thought it was very funny. Like the, obviously the, the, what prompted the situation probably wasn't good because uh, you typically don't get kicked out of games for doing absolutely nothing. But uh, I think if they really wanted him out of there, if he was being like disruptive and like truly disruptive and causing like any harm to anybody in any way, they would have like actually made him leave instead of just letting him slowly saunter up to the student section after he left. But that was funny. Like that, that was very funny to me when he just kind of realized that he can walk right up there and just kind of went, went in the student section and was like, all right, I'll sit here with you guys now. I thought that that was kind of cool. I mean, he, he was, he was there hanging out with the students going crazy the whole game. So I think the optics of it are like the only potential issue here. Like if, <laughs> yeah, basically. if he hadn't just like been removed from his like, like bench with the Hornets because of an altercation with Borrego, we wouldn't probably be like viewing this potentially negatively. Cause I do think it is like, yeah, it, there hasn't been any fallout from it. It's not like, you know, he's had to release a statement or anything like that. So we can assume that whatever was said was just kind of like, it just happened in the moment. And I think I thought it was funny that he went to the stands. Um, yeah, I guess it's just more of like, I'm sure he's got, you know, his agent or maybe his, uh, he's got a PR person saying like, Hey, like, why don't you keep it low key and not get yourself in the news for any like potentially negative reason. That's, that's probably the only thing that's coming from this. But, um, you know what? He's a passionate. He's cl he clearly loves UConn. He was back there. He could have got. He could have gone anywhere for All Star Weekend. He said, "You know what? I'm going to go to a UConn basketball game and cheer on my guys." So credit to that. Hopefully, I you know nothing more comes from it. I'm gonna James. Are, are, James, are you gonna are you gonna be like this is you're gonna so, uh, <laughs> yeah. like what I'm is gonna, the, the I'm gonna choose my words Simpson, like shaking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to choose my words carefully. Look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cranky old man, right? Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm, I'm totally like, firstly, right, I'll say a couple of things. One, going back to UConn during his also break, like what you said, like massive respect for that. Yeah. Passionate, loyal. Two, I thought him going up into the stands afterwards was hilarious, right? I think that's great. Um, but 
like you said, you know, him, the, you know, the, the issue with whatever playing by the rules or, or, or the referee is perceived an authority issue that he cannot have him courtside for either something he's done. Apparently it was because he was on the, on the court with his yeah. phone. Yeah. Like, and if it's just that he didn't realize he was standing on the court while videoing something and it's a completely innocent mistake. Like I got no problem with that. That's just like, what I didn't even realize. And now you're kicking me out. Like, give me a break. Like you could have just given me a warning. If he'd been told three times, <laughs> you know, you got to get off the court now and he's still doing it. And like, or, or he said something to initiate it. And this is the thing. It's the same thing with Brega. We don't know what was said. Right. So like, like I said in the video about Brega and like I said now, like, cause we don't know what happened. It's impossible to say like who is right, who is wrong. But all I will say from the optics of it, if I'm on another NBA team and in the summer, I think about trading for James Bucknight. When I sit down at my table with my scouts and I go, what do we know about James Bucknight, right? Well, this is what his shooting percentage is, blah, blah, blah. What's our intel? It will come up about the thing with Borrego and it will come up that he, you know, was asked to leave the court um, at the UConn game. I, I think that, like, if I was a scout and I didn't say that to my general manager who's trading for him, I would be like, well, I need all the information here and we need to find out, is this a series of unfortunate events which have been misunderstood and looked bad on TV? Or is there actually an issue or a worry there that shows a, a little bit of immaturity, whatever? I, I don't know. Um, but all I can say is it raises the question. And I just much prefer the question never to, ever to be raised. <laughs> you know, so we didn't even have to have this conversation. Like I like yeah. I like JT Thor because he just stays up the headlines and he just turns <laughs> up and plays basketball. I just I just wish it wasn't there because. Like, I, I'm just someone who I always expect everyone, un, like, this is not fair for me, but I expect everyone to be perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And people are imperfect. Human beings are imperfect, especially when they're 19 and especially when they're millionaires when they're 19. Um, but I, like, want everyone to be, like, in the movies where they work really hard. And like, and that's my fault. Like, as a fault of mine, I, I project that want for perfection onto people. And I think a lot of other people, like, at least I'd like, you know, he'll grow up, whatever. Like, it's not an issue. It was funny. Um, that's just not how I see the world. Uh, but I don't think this is some big red flag. Like, there's not going to be yeah. any fine. He's not going to get into trouble with anyone. Like, it, I completely get If it wasn't Buck Knight and it was someone for the team, I'd just say it's hilarious. But because I care... And I really want Book Knight to succeed. I just don't want it to be like, oh, is like you say, is is this a, a sign of a of a of a wider issue? Just like a, a, a yellow flag, a, not a red flag, but a yellow amber flag. I don't know. It could be. It could be nothing. We'll have to wait and see to find out. You guys got anything before we uh, log off for this one here? Keep the faith. It it hopefully will get better. It's it's certainly I mean, not. That as wasn't bad. very convincing, Nick. Well, okay. All right. Let me. Let me, let me it hopefully will get better. Keep the faith. Hopefully, hopefully it better. will get better. All right. As someone who has experienced the lowest of low moments, and there are many of them with this franchise. Okay. All right. It it's not as bad as it seems. Okay. And if it, and if it really upsets you, just turn the game off because I've done that in the, in the past couple of, you know, games in this losing streak. And guess what? I felt better for it. So just turn it off, do something else and, and, and come back for the next game. And hopefully it turns out better, but we will be all right. It'll get better. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> mm -hmm.
<laughs> I am. I want to finish the podcast. With, firstly, Nick, thank you for coming on. Yeah, it has been therapeutic yes, you, to to talk through the frustrations we've had. I want to end the podcast with a quote. All right, this is this is cliche stuff, right? All right, we're quote. getting inspirational here. I like this. Right, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And we will leave right. it at that. We can, Let's we go can't on end it. on anything else. Thank you guys for joining it. us for this episode. We'll see you guys soon.